0: Hello and welcome to the Asta La Visa Baby Podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney Anthony and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney Anthony and Flaherty. But he's based in New York, and the line for those who want to marry him for a green card is getting longer by the day. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. Hey, hey, Shai, how are you? Rod, let me tell you the truth. I'm a little stressed out right now. Why is that? Because I have the um, unfortunate reality of being a New York Mets baseball fan. We are currently having a really good season. It only happens about seven to every seven to 10 years. Sure, like cicadas. Yeah, yeah. We're good only very uh, not very often. This year we're good, but there's this pesky team called the Atlanta Braves that are just on our heels. They won't go away. And it's just giving me a lot of anxiety. Ah, uh, well This is what happens when you're a sports fan. A lot of a lot of anxiety. I hear that's why I gave up yeah, many, not- many, many years ago.
1: It's not worth it, is it? Well, it depends. I mean, you know, it still can be fun, I suppose. I also, I got a, uh, as we mentioned before, I got a COVID booster yesterday, so I'm feeling a little bit under the weather today. So, you know, it's not a good day for either one of us.
0: <laughs> but you're going to stick it out. You're going to do I'm it. I'm going to stick it out.
1: I'm going I'm to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. am going to do yeah. it. I've, I've got all the booster side effects, but I'm excited to get into this part two of our... Uh...
0: At least you're not going to get COVID from this conversation. Nope, nope no 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 so this conversation yeah uh let's get into it everybody this is part two of the asta la visa baby rom-com fraudulent marriage extravaganza series this is where we talk about movies that feature sham marriages for the sake of getting a green card mm-hmm. last week we talked about the movie green card and we have uh, another special movie today for you and in addition to that we even have a special guest joining us later to talk about some of the employment law issues presented in this movie. So we have a movie here that has immigration issues, employment law issues. We're going to try to tackle everything.
1: That's right. This is an hasta visa baby first that we're going to venture into another area of law with someone else from our firm. It's
0: a crossover episode, everybody. It is.
1: So the, be excited.
0: The kids love a good crossover these days. The kids do. Yeah, they do. Rod. Before we get into the uh, movie we're talking about today, you want to let us know how people can find us on the internet and listen to our podcast? Yeah, you can find us on all the major podcast
1: streaming platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, TuneIn, and etc.
0: Yes, TuneIn. Sorry for leaving TuneIn out the last few episodes, but they're included now. Yeah. They've always been in the etc. camp. And anyone else who,
1: uh, you know, any other podcast services that are carrying us, feel free to reach out. We'll give you a shout out too. We'll give you a shout out too. Don't cost Uh, nothing.
0: Definitely subscribe to the podcast and and rate us and review us. Uh, We we love to hear you from you. We have an email address where you can send us all your questions, pleasantries, and and any comments you have about this podcast. And Rod, where can they email us?
1: So it's hasta la Visa, H A S T A L A V I S A, at Gibney, G I B N E Y dot com.
0: All right. So now to introduce everybody, first time listeners, long time listeners, to introduce you and remind you of the rules and the format of this podcast. Every episode, we focus on a particular movie, a television show that features a foreign national living in the US. We're going to do a deep dive into the movie or the television show, focusing on the specific foreign national character. We are going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced while living in the U.S. And we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the character came to us for advice. And as always, unless the movie or the television show warrants it, we are going to talk about the characters in the context of a 2022 U.S. immigration world, because that's the year we're in now. Mm -hmm. Today, everybody, we're doing a special movie. All of our movies are special, but today's movie is going to be the movie called The Proposal. And Rod, would you like to give everybody the background of what The Proposal is all about? Sure. So The Proposal is a 2009
1: romantic comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Sandra plays Margaret, she's a Canadian national. She is the executive editor and chief uh, of a book publishing company in New York City. Uh, Ryan Reynolds plays Andrew, her executive assistant. Margaret is pretty thoroughly despised by the entire company staff, including Andrew, just for her authoritarian style of leadership. Margaret's bosses at the publishing company tell her that her visa renewal application has been denied and she is going to be deported. We
0: uh,
2: just spoke to your immigration attorney.
0: Great. So, so we're all good? Everything good?
1: Margaret, your visa application has been denied. That, that... And you are being deported. Deported? And apparently there was also some paperwork that you didn't fill out in time. Come on. It's, it's not like I'm even an immigrant. I'm from Canada.
2: We can reapply, but unfortunately you have to leave the country for at least a year.
1: So Margaret lies to her bosses and tells them that she's engaged to Andrew and that they're going to get married so she can stay in the United States.
0: And there's a uh, well I think there's something that you should know.
1: Uh, we're uh, we're getting married.
0: We are getting married. <laughs> who, who is getting married?
1: You and I. You and who? I are getting married. Yes. We
0: are. Getting married. We are
1: getting married. Yes. So Margaret then threatens to derail Andrew's career if he doesn't go along with the plan, and Andrew negotiates a promotion with Margaret if he goes along with the lie.
0: If you do the Alaska weekend and the immigration interview, I will make you I will make you editor. Happy? And not in 2 years, right away. Fine. And you'll publish my manuscript. 10,000 copies first 20,000 copies first run. And we'll tell my family about our engagement when I want and how I want. Now. Ask me nicely.
2: Ask me nicely what?
1: Margaret and Andrew pay a visit to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service office in New York and advise an officer that they're engaged. The officer tells the couple that this could prevent Margaret's deportation if they can pass a test where they'll be separated and questioned. If they fail the test, Margaret will be permanently deported and Andrew will face a fine and prison sentence. Margaret and Andrew tell the officer that they're going on a trip to Andrew's hometown in Alaska They're going to go there for the weekend to celebrate Andrew's grandmother's 90th birthday party. And they'll be back in time for the interview on Monday after the weekend's over. Margaret and Andrew then travel to Andrew's hometown in Alaska. Andrew introduces Margaret to his entire family as his fiance. And they're really shocked by this because he's been telling them for for so long how much he hates her. And they're just all taken aback that they're now engaged. Over the next few days, Margaret spend some time with Andrew's mother and grandmother, and she starts to take a liking to them. Andrew's parents suggest that they get married up at the family's house during their trip, and Margaret and Andrew agree. At the wedding ceremony, which is surprisingly attended by the immigration officer looking to catch them in their lie, Margaret feels guilty about lying to Andrew's family and comes clean about the fraudulent nature of the wedding. In disgrace, Margaret gets on a plane and heads back to New York with the immigration officer. She then will have 24 hours to leave the United States. Shortly thereafter, Andrew comes to terms with the realization that he's in love with Margaret. He rushes back to New York and he finds her in the office packing up her belongings. And then in front of the entire staff, he tells her that he loves her and he proposes to her. Now, you can imagine my disappointment when it suddenly dawned on me that the woman I love is about to be kicked out of the country. So Margaret,
0: Marry me, because I'd like to date you.
1: So Margaret accepts, and then it's implied that she'll no longer need to depart the United States because they're now engaged for real this
0: time. Wow. So I count a lot of issues in this movie. I, I see that there's uh, immigration issues, but I also see there's workplace environment issues in this movie. There's quite uh, a
1: few interesting issues happening in this in this film.
0: I feel like lawsuits and even criminal penalties could be in the horizon for uh, both Andrew and for Margaret. Mm-hmm. So Essentially, yeah. Yeah. But before we get into what the immigration and the employment law issues are with this movie. How about, Rod, I provide you and the listeners with some fun and exciting facts that I have found about this film.
1: I love the facts. I love when you do research.
0: I've got a few doozies for you today. Julia Roberts was initially approached to play the role of Margaret, but she declined, leaving the role open for Sandra Bullock. Interesting. Yeah. Betty White, who played Andrew's grandmother, almost turned down her role because filming would require her to spend 10 weeks away from her Golden Retriever. Wow.
1: Now- But it, it this is so, such, what, what a perfect like reason not to want to do a movie. Betty White is so cool.
0: She's so cool. And I have a newfound respect for Betty White because as I was explaining to you, I don't think I could spend 10 weeks away from my cat to do a movie, let alone one week. There so I, I commiserate with Betty White. But if the money's good enough, you know, we'll do what we have to do, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get this, Rod. This is something I was disappointed by and, and surprised by. All of the Alaska scenes of the movie, and most of the movie takes place in Alaska, all of those scenes were filmed in Rockport, Manchester-by-the-Sea, and Boston in a state called Massachusetts, a state that you know very well. I do know very well. I grew up in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. The state, the Commonwealth, very very cute. (laughs) None of the, the film was shot in Alaska, and all of the mountains that we see, those were all digitally included.
1: That's interesting. You know, I totally missed that. I mean, I am familiar with Rockport, Manchester by the Sea, and Boston. All three of those, all three of those places. Maybe I should rewatch it.
0: Well, if they tricked you, then imagine how easy it was to dupe me. I mean, I don't know anything yeah. about Massachusetts. There okay. you go. Yeah. So the film only owns a 44% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's it's pretty rotten. Yeah. And yeah. And, but yeah. but
1: I, I say I say a, a fair rating. Actually. Fair. I, would, I think I, it's I fair. would argue. I, yeah. You know.
0: I think going as high as 50, as low as 40. I think that's the sweet spot for this movie. <laughs> and, then, and then finally, an alternative ending was shot where Margaret's plane heading towards New York returns to Alaska so that Ryan can confess his love for her on the runway with his family watching in the background. This is on YouTube. So if you want to check it out, listeners, it's, check it out. There it's was crazy. A, yeah, there was an amazing it, performance by a flight attendant who didn't get is. to have her a moment. I feel really bad for her. So,
1: uh, what a disappointment! To, because she really brought it. I mean, she really was like. Besides was Betty White,
0: besides yeah. Betty White, she might have been the best character, and she she didn't might even get she to the it
1: And they cut her entirely out. I mean, it is a terrible alternate ending. So yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty that. bad. It's pretty but bad. yeah,
1: it, feel free. Just it's it's on YouTube. Dig it up. You can you, yeah. can, you can review it for yourself.
0: Yeah. This movie deals with a uh, foreign national character. That's what we're all about here, exploring fictitious foreign national characters, trying to decide what kind of visas they had, trying to solve their issues, present to the audience what their issues might have been. In this movie, we have a Canadian. Her name is Margaret. She's played by Sandra Bullock. So, Rod, can you give the listeners a breakdown of exactly who this Margaret character is? Margaret is... Canadian,
1: and she's in the US pursuant to a work visa, but the film never tells us which uh, which visa she has. This is where we come in, of course. She's depicted as being extremely successful in her professional life, but she's also very cold. She's basically just mean and lacking in empathy to uh, those that she works with. All of the employees at the publishing company seem to fear and hate her. They refer to her as a witch and using maybe another word that rhymes with that, that might start with a different letter. She's feared, not respected in, the, in in her office. When she meets Andrew's family and friends in Alaska, she's very distant and she's very uptight. She's very uncomfortable there, seemingly sort of lacking in the ability to make any personal connections with anybody. But we eventually learn that Margaret lost her parents when she was 16, and she's been keeping people away as a self-defense mechanism ever since. So by the end of the movie, Margaret starts to feel again and is willing to give a relationship with Andrew a chance, not just to stay in the U.S., but because she is truly in love with him.
0: Truly in love with him. Those three to four days they spent together, that's how love is made, isn't it? True love. (laughs) True love. I'm not sure if I liked her at the beginning of the movie. I definitely didn't like her at the beginning of the movie. And I don't think I liked her very much at the end of the movie either.
1: (laughs) Did you? We kind of talked about this a little bit. I just I feel like Her character doesn't change substantially, and she's never really given that depth. She's a bit of a two-dimensional character, I think. I think a lot of
0: rom-coms have this problem, right? With the
1: two-dimensional
0: character depth.
1: There's not a lot of deep character development. I mean, I understand it's a 90-minute movie. They got to rip through it fast. And they do try because they try to give her... She does sort of open up to him a little bit. So we do learn a little bit about her, but she's not like a character that I'm rooting for by the end.
0: I, I don't think so. So Margaret, a character we're not rooting for, but we have to discuss is Canadian. So let's talk about her immigration issues and her immigration circumstances. So we know that Margaret is in the U.S. working pursuant to a visa because flat out in the movie, she's told by her superiors that her visa renewal application was denied and that she's being deported. However, Rod, we don't know what type of visa she actually had. So this is where we come in. We really have to do some work here and and think about the different types of visas that an editor-in-chief of a publishing company could have had. Precisely. So Margaret, she was working in a professional occupation. And, And I think when you're working in a professional occupation, there's a number of different visa categories you could qualify for. So Rod, my friend, what type of visas come to mind when you think of these professional type of visas?
1: So, as a Canadian, my mind first jumps to the TN visa classification, which is a classification based on the old North American Free Trade Agreement. It's designed specifically for Canadians and Mexicans. That's the first one that jumps out at me. Whenever I'm working with a Canadian or a Mexican uh, citizen, I'm usually looking for the TN first. But the TN classification is is somewhat limited. It's only applicable to a specific set of occupations. And unfortunately, the occupation of editor or writer isn't listed in those occupations. So therefore, a TN likely wouldn't work for her.
0: Right, Rod, thank you for that background. So if she was an engineer, if she was an economist, if she was a computer systems analyst, a veterinarian, She would Mm -hmm. have qualified for TN because those are TN occupations, but there is no TN occupation for a writer or a journalist or an editor. So we have to move on from TN. Yep. Are there any other classifications that you, as an attorney, Rod, can you think of?
1: Well, sure. I mean, she's very, very senior at the company, right? So she's likely very established. So we would look at the O-1. We've covered that before. That's the Extraordinary Ability Visa. We don't know a lot about her background, so we don't really know enough to go on to try to f- explore that. But that would be another possibility to think of. Also, if the company she's working for is an international company, potentially an, intercom- an L1 intercompany transferee visa could work. But the visa category that really pops out to me on this one would be the H-1B specialty occupation visa. It's actually one of the most common and most talked about U.S. visas.
0: We've done 18 episodes of the Asta La Visa Baby podcast. This is number 19. And we haven't spoken about the most popular visa, the visa that Everybody talks about it all dinner parties and
1: yeah, and the one the, that you and I work on most often probably
0: yeah, all the bars and clubs that I go to. This is this is where they ask me. They say, "Shy, what do you yeah. know about H one B?" And we work on these so much, so I think mm-hmm. it's time to talk about the H one B visa because this is a visa category that Margaret from the movie definitely could have had. So let's start out with the basics. Rod, can you sure. tell us all what are the elements of an H one B visa?
1: Basically, it's simplistically, you know, sort of looking at it from a, a bit of a, a A zoomed out look. A U.S. employer files a a petition for a candidate, someone they want to hire. Uh, The candidate can qualify for the H-1B visa if that individual is coming to the U.S. to work in a specialty occupation.
0: And for the purposes of this H-1B visa, when you say specialty occupation, that's a term of art. What does specialty occupation mean? It is indeed a term of art, and a specialty occupation is a professional job
1: that requires at least the attainment of a bachelor's degree. The specific field of study of the bachelor's degree has to be directly related to the role that the candidate's going to perform for the U.S. company.
0: So yeah, just having a bachelor's degree is not enough. The bachelor's degree has to be related to the role. And how does a U.S. employer file for one of these H-1B visas on behalf of a candidate that they're interested in? So there are a
1: number of steps that need to be taken, including the filing of what's called a labor condition application that's done through the Department of Labor. And then finally, an actual petition with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. In addition to corporate information for the company and some biographic information for the beneficiary, the petition needs to contain the certified labor condition application evidence of the beneficiary's academic credentials and specifics regarding the role and the job duties that the beneficiary is being sponsored for. The U.S. company must also agree to pay the U.S. worker a wage that is either equal to or above a Department of Labor-mandated salary level.
0: Very interesting. And Rod, I think a lot of people want to know, how long is one of these H-1B visas valid for? So the initial stay is valid for up to three
1: years. At the end of that three-year period, an employer can file an extension petition requesting an additional three years. So one can hold for a maximum of six years. But if the employee gets through a certain stage of the employment-based green card sponsorship process, then that H-1B can be extended past the six-year limit.
0: So in in reality, we're talking about a visa that could last more than six years if you get through a certain part of the green card sponsorship process. That's very nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've got the basics of the H-1B visa, the elements, how you apply for it, how you can qualify for it. Let's talk about how the H-1B visa applies to this movie. Based upon what we see in the movie, Margaret, editor-in-chief of a large publishing company in New York. Do you think Margaret could have had an H-1B visa? So let's talk about the points and just have a a free-flowing discussion here. Let's. Do you think that the editor-in-chief of a publishing company would likely require a bachelor's degree in a field of studies such as journalism or writing? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. It seems like that would be a very reasonable requirement for a job like that.
0: It probably would be rare for somebody in such a high position at a company like that to have gotten to that point without having at least a bachelor's degree in, in journalism or writing or communications or something like that. That's what I think.
1: I would tend to agree.
0: Margaret, that means that she would have had to have a bachelor's degree in a field of study related to writing or journalism. Mm-hmm. We don't know what her background is. The movie We don't did, know specifically. The movie didn't come with a resume for Margaret. Yeah.
1: I mean, she does carry herself in a, in a particularly erudite manner. She does yeah. seem sophisticated. She seems bright. She seems educated. She dresses I, you know, like not, she would have a bachelor's degree, right? <laughs> sure. Not that you have to have a degree to be smart and bright and, and sophisticated, but we're probably meant to presume that she's, that she's an educated individual with the minimum of a bachelor's degree, I
0: would think. Yeah. I think most of the time when you see somebody in a high-level uh, position at a corporation, such as the publishing company, they're going to have at least a bachelor's degree. I would think so. So I think that Margaret could have qualified. And I think the H-1B visa would have been a visa that probably would have been applicable to her. And that might have been the visa they were talking about in the movie. I think it would be interesting to know how long Margaret was living and working in the U.S. with that publishing company. We know in the movie that they filed a renewal petition for her. So do you think this means that she was only finishing her third year with them in the U.S.? So it's tough. It's
1: tough, right? It's tough. I think Ryan Reynolds' character at one point does mention that they've been working together for three years. It's not clear how long she's been with the company. That would mean she made it. It certainly could because she seems like she's bright and good at her job, but it would mean that she she's sort of shot up the ranks and she's become editor-in-chief within three years. It could be, I suppose. Um, Maybe she you know. was
0: working in Canada and they recruited her and they got her an H-1B visa to work in the U.S. That's a possibility. She was working in Canada for another company. Yeah. We don't know, Mm -hmm. but I think the H-1B visa is what we're going with. We're going to conclude that Margaret had an H-1B visa, and that was the visa that was denied in this movie, which led us to the predicament that she faced of deportation. Correct. What we want to do now is we want to actually do something new for everybody and for us. We're going to have our very first crossover section. In addition to the immigration issues that were, are dealt in this movie, we also have employment law issues. Specifically, we have a character that threatened a subordinate employee to marry her for a green mm-hmm. card, or she was yeah. going to derail his career. And
1: says so in stark terms. She makes it very clear that if you it's, don't do this, I will destroy your career.
0: She's very direct about that. She said, yes. I will dis- you were going to live on the streets, I think she said to Andrew. Mm-hmm. So you and I are immigration attorneys, and a lot of people think that you go to law school, you know everything about every field of law. I'm going to admit that I don't know everything about every field of law. Nor do I, nor do yeah, I. Yeah. So we're going to bring in a very special guest for this section of the podcast. We have a treat for you. All right. Joining us now it's our very special guest. He's a partner at Gibney, and he specializes in labor and employment law. Making his podcasting debut, it's Mr. Robert Tracy. Bob, how are you today? Hey, Bob, how's it going?
2: I'm I'm doing great. I just, uh, I'm so excited to be part of this podcast.
0: We're more than excited to have you. Definitely Um, excited to have you. Yeah, this is the first time we're having a crossover episode. So we're really happy to bring in somebody who's going to help enlighten us about areas of law that we're not too knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. So Bob, let's get right into it. We have a movie here where we have uh, an employer, Margaret, who. Is basically threatening her employee to marry her. Bob, in your line of work, is this a is this a good thing or a bad thing? Problems?
2: Well, it could pose a few problems for the employer, or more than a few. <laughs> I mean, this is not. Uh, fortunately, in my practice, this is not something that has specifically come up in real life where someone has forced someone to marry them. But we have to be careful as an employer to make sure that our supervisors and managers are not putting their personal interests ahead of the company's interests, and then taking action against their subordinates in an unreasonable fashion. And of course, with the threat to or the demand that you marry me, that brings in frequently a... Sex discrimination element that could expose the companies to some real liability. So, I mean, this is just horrible boss stuff, crazy Hollywood element. But, you know, I have seen quid pro quo sexual harassment, what we call it, where you demand something specific for either a job benefit or, in this case, I'm going to ruin your career, is the classic and most easily avoidable sexual harassment or sex discrimination
0: uh, basis. So let's say this situation came across your desk. You had an employer that you represented and the story came to you. What would you advise about what Ryan's recourses are for having a boss threaten him like this? What the company could do with Margaret for her making this threat and this demand? How would you go about your legal representation or legal advice in this situation?
2: Well, this is something where you would really need to do an investigation because it would depend on how you became aware of the situation. If the subordinate was the one who complained, you would then have to do a full blown investigation. If it is something that came to your attention because someone thought they overheard something like this, then you would also do an investigation. And you want to find out what the facts are so that you can take appropriate action. One thing that I think you would do is remove the person from the situation for a while. If this person as my recollection is uh, the Ryan Reynolds character was an administrative assistant, Mm. you would reassign that administrative assistant, maybe on a temporary basis, so they don't have to work with the potential harasser during the investigation.
0: Very interesting. And and Rod, you were saying something about how Andrew in the movie responded, right? What were you saying about that? Well, I just, I noticed
1: that in the movie, right, he responds, he kind of negotiates himself a raise where he says, all right, fine, well, you know, and forgive me, does he threaten to expose her or does he... I thought he kind of came back at her with a threat.
0: He just and comes back. He comes back and says, OK, I'll do it. But you're going to have right. to promote me. You're going to have to get my manuscript published. So he kind of counter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He made yeah, a he counter offer to, yeah. to the demand. So... I was curious.
1: Yeah. I was just curious. Like, is there is there are there any issues raised by his actions or is that sort of just not even relevant now because her action is the first one to set off the, the fire, so to speak?
2: It would be, I mean, it would be difficult, for, I think, for her to bring claim against the company because she initiated this HR horror show, we could <laughs> call it. And, and obviously, he shouldn't be black. You know, you can't blackmail your, your co-workers. But again, this is the, the manager putting him in this untenable position. And I mean, if mm-hmm. we think about it, I think one of the reasons this movie works to the extent it does work is because you have... The traditional sex roles reversed, where you have the manager being a woman and the subordinate being a man. If this had been switched, this would just be creepy, and nobody uh, would probably <laughs> want to watch it.
0: This uh, is Hollywood <laughs> making progress. This Good is point.
2: Hollywood uh, making, making progress. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's uh,
0: it's... <laughs> it's something, all right. Yes. So, so I think that the first takeaway we have from your advice is that if you're a boss working for a corporation, don't force your subordinates to marry you for yeah. uh, immigration benefits. Uh, not I, not well, a good for look. any
2: benefit. Any, for benefit. any yeah. benefit. I think I it's mean, just a, yeah. a, a blackmailing a subordinate is just never good.
0: <laughs> never that's good. Easy, I think that's we can easy, say that. I think
2: we can safely say that in any jurisdiction in the United States. It's just that's never an easy, good. bright
1: line rule that anybody can follow. I think, I think
2: that's, that's right. All right. Right.
0: Okay. We were questioning whether that's okay or not, but now we know. I think another thing we were curious about, Rod and I, sometimes in the workplace, there are romantic relationships between a supervisor and a subordinate. What are the steps that a company should put in place to maybe negate the issues that could come about with such relationship?
2: Well, typically what an employer will do is they will have a policy on romantic relationships in the office. And it will usually have two parts. One part will be the responsibility of the parties who are in a consensual romantic relationship in the office to notify HR that it exists, because you want to make sure that you don't have someone in a romantic relationship supervising somebody else, because unlike the proposal that ended so romantically, most of these relationships don't end so well. No way. And, right. I know, I, I know uh, but it's true. And it's typically in those instances where they don't end well, where real problems can arise in the workplace, especially... So you don't want somebody... For example, you have someone who wants to end the relationship, and this does happen frequently, And the supervisor doesn't want them to end the relationship. And then they're like, well, you're going to get fired if you end the relationship. Or I'm going to give you a terrible review because you wanted to end the relationship. Or more innocently, you can have people who are now just uncomfortable dealing with each other. Again, you can't prevent office romance because that's where so many people meet other people. Then you're spending a lot of time together. But you really, as an employer, need to have policies in place so that if the policies are not followed, you can take action against the employees. And typically it's against the supervisor for not complying with the policy.
1: If I understood what you're saying, right? The, the concern for the employer really would be the disparate levels at which the two employees sit within the hierarchy of the organization then?
2: I think that's right. I think that's the main concern. It can somewhat happen with coworkers where you're working as part of teams and sometimes you can get people claiming they're being discriminated against because they're not in the romantic relationship. This supervisor right. has a romantic relationship and favors someone to the detriment of others because they're not in the romantic relationship. It's like, what do I have to do to to get the plum assignments here? Certainly not something I want to do in the workplace.
1: Right. Interesting. And like you said, if it ends badly, it doesn't really matter what level these people are at. That becomes everybody's problem then.
2: Right. But especially if it's a supervisor, because what could start out as something consensual may not end up as something consensual and Mm -hmm. also folks recollections of how consensual, people look back on it and say, yeah, I thought it was consensual, but you know what, what was I really going to say when my boss asked me out for drinks? And what am I going to say? No. I mean, you can't put them in that type of situation, people who, who are working for you. So you have to be very careful, especially with supervisor subordinate relationships, not to have any romantic element in those. And if something were to develop That would have to be disclosed immediately, and then the company would have to decide what to do. And typically what they do is they get the parties to decide which one of you wants to switch your position because we can't have the one person reporting to the other.
0: Oh, this sounds messy. A lot messier than immigration law. It's
2: very, very messy. Wow. (laughs) But it worked out well here in this movie. I'm glad I
0: stuck to immigration law and uh, analyzing (laughs) Hollywood's depiction of immigration because there's some serious (laughs) things that you just brought to light, Bob.
2: That's right. And it can be it can be a very expensive proposition for an employer in these instances especially if they're aware of it and they don't take right. any action. Right.
0: This legal information was, was great. I have a very important question for you. Uh, one final question. We know your time is very valuable. What did you think of the movie?
2: Not my favorite movie. I mean, it was wonderful seeing Betty White. I thought, uh, <laughs> yeah, Betty we White agree. The movie. We agree. I, I would, uh, yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, it was a cute movie. It was kind of a silly rom-com, but I did think the Betty White scenes really made the movie worth watching. We completely we agree, agree we with agree. you. We
0: yeah. agree. Yeah. And, and on that note, Bob, it was really great to have you. We thank you for your time. We hope to have you on a future episode because as Rod was talking about with me, we deal with a lot of the uh, situations in our movies. We tend to pick movies that have a lot of uh, employer-employee relationship issues. Well, that
2: makes sense. I mean, to the extent that you have employer-sponsored immigration issues in in movies, you're going to have employers and employees.
0: There you go. Well, Bob, great to have you. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. That was really great. Again, I want to thank Bob Tracy for joining us. We hope that you listen to all of our podcasts, Bob. We hope that you join us again for another episode where employment law and labor law crossover with us.
1: Big thanks to Bob, that was a great conversation. And we often cover movies and TV shows where managers behave very, very badly. So I'm sure it won't be long before we have have reason to bring Bob in again.
0: We might have another crossover episode next month, but stay tuned to the end of the episode for for you to find out. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody. So now that we've got the little employment and labor law issues out of the way, this is normally the part of the podcast where we do a consultation with our foreign national character. The thing is, is that if you take a listen to some previous episodes of ours, such as our That 70s Show episode, and such as the episode we did last month, where we talked about the movie Green Card, we've already done hypothetical consultations with characters who had sham marriages. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, we're going to do something a little bit different. What we want to do is we want to talk about the accuracy of the immigration issues presented in this movie, and basically just pick them apart or commend them for their accuracy, if appropriate.
1: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) There's One or two things, right?
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe one or two things.
1: (laughs) Maybe exactly one or two things. But uh, yeah, this is fun for us.
0: Yeah. So so let's get into it. And I hope that the writers and the producers of this movie, I hope you're listening right now, because you just know that this could have all been avoided if you had come to us in 2009. We were already immigration attorneys. We could have been retained and our services could have been at your disposal.
1: Yes, they could have.
0: All right, let's get right to it. First, let's talk about the event that sets up the whole movie, okay? This movie is set up because Margaret's H-1B visa, well, well, we think she had an H-1B visa, but Margaret's visa renewal petition application is denied, okay? Margaret is told that her visa application was denied because she traveled to Frankfurt while it was pending. So, Rod, assuming she was on an H-1B visa, would international travel while an extension was pending lead to a denial what do you think so about it, that
1: it actually could and not to get too too far into the weeds here but i always recommend people not travel when an extension petition is pending for them for this very reason if somebody departs it can actually derail the extension
0: it's very true this is one of the areas of the movie that they got right i wonder if they researched it or if it was just a bit of luck i tend to <laughs> i tend to go with the latter Yeah, But they did
1: get it right. Either way, they did get it right.
0: Just like it doesn't automatically lead to denial. I've seen situations where somebody travels and it's not denied, but it could lead to denial. Absolutely.
1: The easy answer there is even if it is denied, she could just
0: reapply. The company reapply. She could just
1: depart, get a visa and come back. And it's it's no
0: problem. It's not the end of the world. And another thing is that both of us do advise our clients not to travel once a petition Mm -hmm. is um, submitted and pending. Just the safest approach. So they got something right in the movie. How about this? Margaret was told that she will be deported within thirty days because of the of the denial. Deported. Yeah. Rod, does does the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, the department that oversees the adjudication of renewal petitions, do they have the ability to deport people? They do not. As a matter of fact, the
1: word "deported" is actually somewhat antiquated. The term is now "removal" or yes. "removed." It's different than that. But no, uh, USCIS, when they deny a petition, they do not deport individuals. They don't have a police force. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, appropriately named ICE, those are the individuals who who handle that. They are the ones who, who do that. But there's a lot that has to happen before right. you're going to be removed. She has to be found guilty of violating her status and she has to be deemed removed by an immigration judge. There's a lot that has to happen. And USCIS, To my knowledge, I've never seen this happen. USAIS does not refer cases over to ICE when someone is denied. I haven't seen it
0: yet. I haven't seen that.
1: They they send a note that says you better leave because you're in danger. And uh, you're basically
0: expected to voluntarily leave. Um, They do warn you of the consequences that could happen if you stay past your visa. But mm-hmm. USCIS, like you said, doesn't have the power to order someone deported. They would have to refer it to ICE. ICE would have to arrest you. Then you'd have to go into immigration proceedings. A judge would have to order you removed. So It's a
1: long process. Yeah, it's and, a long, involved process. And it someone like her, it just wouldn't happen. Right, she would, she right. would hop a flight, go back to Canada, and then we could sort it out from there. Right. So that's so, a, strike,
0: a strike against the movie. They got that one yeah. wrong. How about this one, Rod? Margaret is told that after being deported, okay, the company can refile her application for her, but she won't be able to come back to the U.S. for a one-year period, and that while she is out of the U.S., she cannot work for an American company. I have a feeling there's a lot of things wrong with all of that. Yes? Okay.
1: So there's three, there's three things here, right? Three. First, the company can refile, which right. is true. Like yeah. a denied petition is denied. The term we use in immigration law is denied without prejudice, which means you can refile. That part is true. They can refile for her. She won't be able to come back to the U.S. for a year. I don't know where they get that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know where that comes not, from. That's not true. Uh, that is absolutely not true. And then the third part, she can't work for an American company while she's living in Canada. That is not true either. There's no law that says you are not allowed to work for a U.S. company while you are abroad.
0: Right, right. Like you can't work on U.S. soil without the right visa. But if you're right. abroad, you could work for an American company if the American company has the tax. Mm-hmm. situation settled and payroll situation settled. And and they yep. they deal with local laws and local countries, but there's no rule that says you can't work for an American company.
1: Well, my experience is a lot, like a lot of the clients that, that I've worked on, uh, a lot of the companies aren't interested in prolonged hiring of people who live abroad. Right. But it's it's not because of any immigration rule. It's usually, like you mentioned, it's some sort of It's an employment law rule or a tax rule. There's other reasons why a company might be disincentivized from doing that. But there's nothing in the immigration law that says it's not allowed.
0: Right. So as you can see. And the one
1: year just doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
0: As you can see, everybody, this movie is starting to struggle with getting their immigration uh, facts right. And now this is where it's going to really get uh, crazy. Things are about to to go (laughs) off the rails. Okay, everybody. (laughs) So now we have to talk about the marriage-based green card sponsorship process and how it's depicted in the movie. Mm-hmm. So we've gone over this before in previous episodes. If you want to know the whole shebang about how it works, you, know, you can listen to the green card episode, you can listen to that 70s show episode, but let me break it down for you really quickly, okay? The marriage-based green card sponsorship process requires a legal marriage to have taken place between a US citizen and a foreign national. After the marriage takes place, the U.S. citizen must file a petition with USCIS to sponsor the spouse for a green card. Concurrently, the foreign national files what's known as an adjustment of status application for a green card. After filing, a long waiting period culminates in an interview with a USCIS officer. That's the way it works. That's the short Mm -hmm. version. As they say in Spaceballs, the short, short version. The short, short version. Shout out to all the Spaceballs fans. What (laughs) we see in the movie is very different, right, Rod? Very different. Not at all.
1: Even approximating your description there.
0: So here's what happens in the movie. After agreeing to pursue this sham marriage, Margaret and Andrew, they go directly to the USCIS office in downtown Manhattan. They ask for a fiance application and they immediately talk to an officer. It's as if they're going to the Department of Motor Vehicles and they're applying for like a driver's license or an ID. Rod, what's going on here?
1: First of all, another thing they get right is they do go to the federal building, down in, in Lower Manhattan, twenty-six Federal Plaza, and they actually do go to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. So that part they got right. Everything else they sort of got wrong. Like you said, you don't just walk in and go to an officer and clean up the mess. It doesn't happen that way. You don't do anything at an office, like you said. You it's usually a series of filings. There is a fiancé visa. There absolutely is. It's called a K. But you do not just waltz into USCIS and say, I want to apply for a fiance visa for my for my fiance. Yeah,
0: that's not what's going on here in the movie. They're not looking for a fiance visa. They're looking for a, a green card for a marriage-based process. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's they're getting a little confused as to what they're doing. It's just it doesn't happen this way.
0: So the only thing about that that they got right is that the USCIS building is at 26 Federal Plaza in downtown Manhattan. (laughs) Interesting fact, our colleague Zarina, she was at USCIS the day they were filming this and she actually saw them filming this movie back in 2009. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to let you know about that. That's great. Here's another thing that happens in the movie before they are even married. And before any paperwork is filed, the officer schedules them for an interview less than a week later. And he says he's going to separate them. He's going to ask them questions about their partners to see if they are a legitimate couple. Uh, Rod, in any world, is this at all accurate when it comes to immigration in the U.S.? No, the short answer is no. But we discussed this
1: in the last, in the green card episode, where we discussed something called a Stokes interview. Right. If if you file in, specifically in, in New York City, if you file for a green card, a spousal green card and you go in for the interview and the officer has reason to suspect there might be something up, either from the contents of the interview or from the documentation that's submitted, you are entitled to a second interview and that's where they do the separation. Yeah, but, but Hollywood seems they love this, and yeah. they just seem that it's done as a matter of course. It's not done as a matter of course. It's done as a last-ditch effort to give you a chance to prove that you have a legitimate marriage, and it's only ever done if something is amiss.
0: Yeah, an interview would never be scheduled before any paperwork no. was filed. This is
1: absolutely not
0: not accurate at all. There would be no reason for an officer to schedule an interview with a non-married couple. There would be no purpose to it. So this no. is just completely inaccurate. And like you said, Hollywood is really interested and obsessed, I think, with this concept of separating the partners during interviews so they can kind of drill the partners about the, the toothpaste it, 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 and, and, yes. and the face creams. The, they, the face they, creams. Yeah. It, ma-
1: it makes for better drama. Yeah, but sure. Unfortunately, it's just not it's not accurate.
0: All right. And then finally, another immigration uh, aspect of this movie that I found to be quite interesting was that in the movie. This immigration officer, what he does is he flies to Alaska on the weekend to investigate the relationship of Andrew and Margaret. He attends the wedding ceremony and then he escorts Margaret (laughs) back to New York on a plane and then he sets the terms of her removal from the United States. Have you ever heard of an immigration officer doing this legally?
1: I've never heard of an immigration officer showing up to somebody's wedding no. to verify that, it, that, it's, that it's a real wedding. They have better things to do, and the USCIS does not have the time, resources for this kind of a thing. No way would an officer fly from New York to Alaska for anything, except for a personal vacation. That just doesn't happen.
0: Right. They have officers in Alaska.
1: Right. Yes. If for whatever reason this needed to be investigated, there would be a USCIS office up in Alaska, then they would send somebody local out. But they don't do this. They they're, did this in Green Card too, where they did, you know, they, yeah. they went to the their home and interviewed them. Right. It does it doesn't happen. Yeah, these um,
0: these officers are like secret agents in, in these movies. Yeah, and they're right, not yeah, secret yeah. agents. I've met these officers, very nice people, but they're not James Bond. Yeah.
1: No, they sit in an office in a federal building and they adjudicate these things there. The applicants go to them, they do not go out into the field. When she sort of gives up, right? And she, she admits that it's a farce and and she goes to leave, he takes her on the plane all the way back to New York. Yeah. In order to get from Alaska to New York, you basically have to fly over the entirety of Canada. The whole
0: country. There's
1: just no way he would put her on a plane to if he back could set the terms,
0: if he could even set the terms of her removal, yeah, he has no power yeah, it, to do that. He, this is
1: he does not have any yeah. power to do that.
0: B- yeah. bottom, bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, the movie got very few things about immigration law right. Most of the things about immigration law they got wrong. I think that the movie could have been done just as effectively if they got the immigration law right. I really do wonder why they didn't double check these things. It's kind of crazy to me, but uh, it is what it is. You know, The accuracy yep. of immigration law is not something that Hollywood seems to be interested in. But you and I, I think when we make our immigration movie, "Asta La Visa Baby," the real life journey of Cheyenne and Rod, I think we'll yeah, get it all right.
1: We'll get it all right. You know, if we keep at this, maybe they'll they'll hear us and they'll they'll start to call.
0: Well, yeah, like we've said in previous episodes, Rod's rates are reasonable, mine are not. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it, we'll figure it out. But yeah, let us know if anyone out there is writing a screenplay. We're yeah. happy to help. We're so happy to help. So happy for a price. Um, anyway, uh, Brad, let's talk about, we've dealt with the law. Let's, let's have some fun. Is this a good movie? Was, was, was the proposal a good movie? My reaction to that is I don't think it's a good movie, but I did
1: enjoy it. Like I didn't, I kind of had, I kind of had fun with it. I I think it's a, it's a rom-com in the very standard rom-com formula. Is it great? I didn't think so. I, we heard from, you know, this movie came highly recommended. Highly. I'm very interested to hear people's feedback on why they love it so much. You know, we're looking at it through an immigration lens. So it's a little frustrating to watch from that from that perspective. after
0: so. we both saw the movie, you said some very interesting things to me. I was enlightened. i was I was inspired. Mm. You told me that you think it was unfortunate that they didn't do more with the reasons why Margaret and Andrew's characters were attracted to each other, that there could have yeah. been so much more done, but they made it so simple and so and so juvenile. I- yeah, Can, I definitely can you agree. expand on that? I think the listeners sure. would like to understand your take. It's a hot take. So while, while watching the movie, where I thought they
1: were going to go is she gets to Alaska and she's uncomfortable the entire time. I thought the direction they were going to go in is that she's from a small maritime town and she can relate to him personally because she has the same upbringing. Like all of this is familiar to her and that's why she's uncomfortable. That's what I thought. Because now, if you give them a similar background, you give them a similar childhood. All of a sudden, he learns these things about her. She learns these things about him. She had no idea about his life prior to going there. They they, they have right. actually a conversation about it. So, if he's like, "Wait a minute, you're from a small town like this, like a small ocean side town," then now you have lots of great fodder for them to connect.
0: I I, I mean, these are great points. So at the end of the day. The writers and the producers of this movie—they could have come to us not just for immigration input, but for plot development too. Look at you go! Yeah, you've got some talents, my friend. I have to say, I was surprised they didn't go in that direction. But I guess go, go, go ahead. It, I guess it was too deep. I think that they were more concerned with the low-hanging fruit. I think it was really important for them to show us the scene where Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock were almost nude. Uh, They were not quite nude because I think it's a PG-13 movie, but I think it was more important for us to see two attractive people in the buff than it was for them to do actual plot development. Again, it's kind of, you know, you're not doing the work. I thought it was lazy to do it like that. I I didn't appreciate it. But this does follow, again, it's that rom-com
1: formula, which is tried and tested. But yeah, I mean, I agree. That is sort of the scene where they start to think differently about each other, where she opens up shortly after that. I agree. You got to fit it in 90 minutes. It's a tough job to do. But, um,
0: look, son, I'm not um, going to complain if I have to see Sandra Bullock in 2009, you know, scantily clad. Okay, great. But, uh, you gotta, (laughs) there's got to be a reason for it. Do the work to make it relevant to the movie. And I'm not sure. Or Ryan
1: Reynolds. Or Ryan. Oh,
0: Ryan Reynolds, too. Very attractive man. I'm not going to lie. Good
1: looking man. Would you Um, have preferred Antonio Banderas in that role?
0: No, because Antonio Banderas wasn't uh, clearly American. So um, <laughs> that's the only reason why uh, that's a callback to our episode from a year ago where we talked about yeah. friends. Good job, Rod. Thank you. Now, if Antonio Banderas played Margaret's uh, character in a more updated, more woke version of the movie, uh-huh, maybe. ah, maybe.
1: There you go. Yes, okay. yes, yes.
0: yes. Rod, tell me something. Margaret, sure. she was playing a Canadian. What's with the
1: accent, Rod? <laughs> Uh, there is no accent she does not have a canadian accent i was kind of surprised about this i have known in my life and i continue to know a lot of canadians and there is canadians we work with canadians Canadians. yeah i was surprised she doesn't speak with a canadian accent and and look that's fine if you don't do the canadian accent it's a little subtle a lot of people don't even notice the difference between a canadian and and an american accent what really struck me as a travesty (laughs) was it she, When she's telling him, my life is falling apart, I have to go home because I have to go home and pack up my stuff and move to Toronto. She pronounces it Toronto. Canadians do not pronounce Toronto with the second T. They pronounce it Toronto. It's terrible. So, so it's just, I mean, that and that's just.
0: She like, should so apologize. She should apologize to all Canadians me. by saying so sorry.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Finally, Rod, I like to do this. Did the relationship last? Do you think that the relationship lasted? I'd love to go first. I know I asked the question, but I want to answer the question. Go ahead. I don't think that love can be built in three days. I think that they might have had some giggles. They might have uh, had a connection, but. This Margaret character, her parents died when she was 16, and she has a lot of emotional issues. Those emotional issues are not going to disappear in three days. They're not going to disappear in one month. There's some serious relationship counseling that she's going to need. So maybe Andrew and Margaret are going to have their little fun for the first few weeks of the relationship, maybe even a few months. But you know what? There comes a time where lust has to turn into real love. And you know what? I don't buy it in this movie. That's just my two cents.
1: I would say, you know, I think you're probably right. I would say also this movie enters where she's been abusing him for three years mm. just because they have a, like, you know, he's got three years of scars from her. And just because they have a little moment or a few moments, there's a lot. Like you said, I think there's going to be a lot of relationship therapy that's going yes. to happen. You don't just go from someone abusing you for, for, for that long and snapping like that. Maybe it could happen. I don't know. But I agree with you. It doesn't seem like the relationship is 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 bound to last but you know they end the movie with a let's give this a try and see you know yeah let's get married so
0: we can date i think that's what he says what a great idea let's get married so we can date i'm sure that's i'm sure that's going to go over really well at the immigration interview it's going to be great Yeah. (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that's the the proposal everybody thank you to all of our listeners who recommended this movie we did have a lot of listeners who specifically wanted us to cover this movie it's a movie that neither of us had seen before so mm-hmm. um, part two of the Asta visa baby fraudulent marriage rom-com extravaganza series comes to an end. Another
1: big shout out. Thanks, Bob Tracy,
0: for, for talking to us. Yeah. And, uh, and sharing some uh, his
1: thoughts on the uh, employment law questions.
0: We definitely learned a lot and we hope you did too out there. Just like we said in the beginning of the podcast, if you have not done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a little rating. Give us some stars. Just do it. It's going to be good for you. You can find us on all the major podcast streaming platforms. Rod has memorized them. I still am having trouble, but Rod, what are they again? They are Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, TuneIn, and et cetera. Definitely TuneIn. We would love to hear from you. We have an email address. This is our preferred method of, well, not our preferred, but our professional method of contact. Rod, where can the listeners find us or contact us?
1: Sure. So our email address is Asta LaVisa, H A S T A L A V I S A, at Gibney, G I B N E Y dot com.
0: We have a big announcement to make. The October episode of Asta baby, is going to be something that we've been waiting to do for a long time. This is a movie that we wanted to cover ever since day one that we conceived of this podcast, but we were afraid to do it because we wanted yeah. to do justice by this movie. This is yeah. one of the all time greats.
1: Yeah, this movie is a large part the inspiration for this podcast.
0: Yeah, we are going to cover a fan favorite. Everybody wants us to do this movie. It's called Coming to America. I don't know about you, Rod, but this is one of my favorite comedies, if not
1: favorite movies ever made. I'm excited for it. I love it. I haven't seen it in quite some time, so it'll be fun to revisit, and it'll be fun to uh, it'll be fun to discuss.
0: Yeah. So everybody out there, please rewatch Coming to America. Watch it for the first time. It's a fantastic movie. It stars Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones. It is a delight. Samuel L. Jackson's in it. Louis Anderson's in it. Man, I love this movie. I'm just getting excited talking about it. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Asta La visa Baby podcast. And there's only one thing left to do. Until next time. Asta la
1: visa, baby.